Grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. We come at last to the pop quiz section of the Epistle to the Romans. This is the pivot point in this epistle where we are going to move from Paul having laid out all of the theology to now putting that theology into practice. And so starting next week, Paul is going to say, given everything that I have just laid out for you in Romans 1 through 11, how then ought we live as Christians in this world? That's going to be particularly important for all of us because Paul is writing to a culture really not all that different from 21st century Montreal. The possible exception that they didn't have Zoom. Um, but in many other ways, they were a atheist, pagan, Jewish, mix of religious cultures, all in a capital city of an empire that was driven by finance and commerce. And here is this tiny, tiny group of Christians who have been called through the gospel to the forgiveness of sins in Christ and a resurrection and new life in baptism, and now have to go forth into that world to live as people of God. But before we can get to that, as I said, the pop quiz. Do you get it? Have you grasped the theology to the point where we can throw a little bit of a curveball at you and see if you get it? Because if we haven't mastered this material, when we get on to the other stuff, we are going to get it particularly wrong. The pop quiz in Romans 11 is in fact so difficult that even our lectionary people who put together what the readings would be Sunday after Sunday skipped some of the harder parts in Romans 11 thinking, I'm not sure that our people could pass this. So for example, Romans 11, 25, 26, where Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. But you've got this, because we've studied this. And you know what Paul means by this, right? Now, if you're not entirely sure, if you're still struggling with this, all Israel will be saved, and how to parse this, and what the implications of that are for our life together, if you want a lifeline, or phone a friend, or poll the audience, we're gonna start with a little bit of help from the Gospel of Matthew and Jesus' encounter with a woman who is absolutely, decidedly, from a Jewish perspective, not part of Israel. She's a Canaanite woman. But by the end of this encounter with Jesus, Jesus will proclaim upon her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you believe. Now let's back up to last week. I think it was last week. I'll be honest that with COVID and everything going on, sometimes the gospel readings blur together a little bit, but I'm pretty confident it was when we were together in the sanctuary at Ascension, and we had Jesus walking across the water towards the disciples who were sitting in a boat. Now, the 12 disciples were chosen out of the bloodline house of Israel. There's no question about their genealogy. These are all people that can say, going on Ancestry.com and doing all the family tree, that they are 
part of the house of Israel. And Peter, who's the centerpiece of Matthew's fuller account of what happened out there on the lake, is first among equals of these disciples. He's the lead disciple. One of my professors once said, the first pope, the first leader of the church. He's given a nickname by Jesus, the rock. And in Matthew, Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. Peter confessing that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. But you all remember what happened to this descendant of Abraham, firm member of the house of Israel, student of the teachings of Jesus, when he saw his Lord walking to him across the lake. He was amongst all the other disciples who cried out, it's a ghost, first of all. But then he's the one who stood up and said, Lord, if it is you, give me a word, speak to me, and call me out of this boat to walk to you on the water. And Jesus did, because Jesus has been sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and Peter is part, most definitely, of the house of Israel. And so to him, Jesus speaks. Peter asks a question, and Jesus answers without hesitation. Come. Which, of course, Peter does. Gets up, ox on the water, comes out to Jesus, and sinks. And in that moment, Peter looks, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Can you see how today's gospel is a perfect pairing with that encounter of Jesus with Peter? This time, A, it's a woman. And the reality is, and it still is this way in many places in the world, women have a lower social standing than men. Already, she's a few rungs down on the ladder. Next, she's a Canaanite woman. Now, that's unusual. There are no Canaanites anymore at the time of Jesus. It's kind of a derogatory term. Um, it's like calling somebody from Quebec a New Francer. It's like, well, New France is a long way back. But she's called a Canaanite woman to point out that she is part of the people who absolutely, 100%, without any question, are not part of the house of Israel. And she's got a daughter who's demon-possessed. Strike number three. She should be out. Woman, Canaanite, daughter who's possessed. But she comes to Jesus and doesn't just give him a generic title, sir, hey guy. She identifies him as a son of David. The hated kings of the Canaanite enemy, Israel. Unlike Peter, and Jesus' encounter with him, Jesus says not a word. There's no come. There's no okay. There's no let's get to it. There's nothing. So the woman presses on. Lord, have mercy on me. So Jesus doubles down because he knows what's in the disciples' minds. He knows what has been there since the very beginning. God simply doesn't have enough grace for everyone. God is Israel's God, and God's first priority has to be the well-being of the house of David and Abraham and Moses. 
So Jesus simply parrots their words and their thoughts back. Well, I was sent only to the house of Israel. To which the woman gives that stunning response. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table, as Jesus refers to her as a dog, not part of the chosen people of God. And how does this story end? With the complete opposite of the words that Jesus spoke to Peter. The first among equals, member of the house of Israel, prime disciple, who is told, oh, you of little faith. No, this time Jesus looks at this woman, Canaanite woman, the possessed daughter, and says, oh, you of great faith, let it be done for you as you believe. What is the difference between Peter and the Canaanite woman? Yes, of course, Peter didn't have faith. The woman had faith. But what is faith? This is part of the pop quiz here from Romans. This is part of what Paul's been driving at all through all of these chapters. What do we mean when we say somebody has faith and confidence in Jesus? Remember Romans 1 and 2. Romans 1 and 2 is an exercise in identifying the sinful condition of humanity. Neither Gentile nor Jew has any leg to stand on before God. The Jew, because they have not kept the law that they were given on Sinai, and the Gentile, because their consciences have told them what they ought not to have done, and they've gone ahead, and they've done it anyway. Only after this laying out of the law does Paul proclaim the good news. The gospel, the Jew and Gentile, who have both fallen, are both redeemed by the cross of Christ. The point being this, faith begins when we come to our Lord without any entitlement. Faith begins when we come to Jesus with empty hands, with an empty heart and say, Lord, we have nothing to bring. Fill us up. You give us what we need because we have nothing of our own. That's why Peter sunk, you see. What happens to people that are too heavy? They go down in the water and Peter was full of himself. It was all Peter, first among equals. Greatest of the disciples, chosen by Jesus, called the rock. And we all know what happens with rocks, right? Unless it's a small rock, according to Monty Python, then maybe it might float. But most rocks sink. But this woman comes to Jesus and says, I get it. I'm not part of House of Israel. I'm a Canaanite. I'm a woman. I've got nothing. But I come to a God who has more than enough for me. And that made the Canaanite woman, at the end of this account, part of the house of Israel, where Peter was teetering on the edge of falling out. And so Paul says in Romans 11, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some. How's making somebody jealous going to save them? Well, isn't that precisely what Jesus does in this encounter with the Canaanite woman? He's making his disciples who are convinced, 
convinced that the Messiah is only for the house of Israel, only has enough grace for the people descended from Abraham, jealous. He wants them to want what this Canaanite woman has, a great faith, a faith in a God of abundant grace, where even the crumbs can work miracles. For the sake of the gospel, Paul says, the Jews are our enemies. You cannot call those who deny Jesus' lordship Christians. That's what the term means. But for the sake of election, they're beloved. Christ has died for them. The gifts that God offers through Jesus are also for them. And they really are offered to them. The good news is never fake news. It is always real. No matter who we share it with, atheist, agnostic, de-churched, Sikh, Buddhist, erring Christian, Jew too, the good news is always true and always for them. And so all who place their trust in the irrevocable gifts and calling of God will be saved. We're wrestling right now, some of us, with the question of what we mean by the word privilege. And while it's easy to get carried away with that, it's good to see what advantages we all have come into life with. I was born in Canada to middle-class parents, gifted with a good IQ, good grades, a good work ethic, access to very good education wherever we lived. No one ever questioned my job applications or my name. Well, okay, there are times actually that my name probably was an interference when I was at Waterloo and applied for co-op positions. We did kind of figure that out, that St. Ange kind of threw some red flags up for English-speaking Canadians. But nevertheless, I came out of a position where I was given a lot of gifts. Now, where do I turn to give thanks for those gifts? Do I commend myself? Look how awesome Charles is. Look at how great Charles is and the great things that he has done and accomplished and the degrees and the access to university. And I've worked really hard and I've earned everything I've gotten. Or do I thank God? Do I thank God and say, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call upon the name of the Lord. Because you see, dear Christian friends, advantages or not, God has consigned all to disobedience. That's the pop quiz. That's the test today in Romans 11. If you don't get it, when Paul moves on in Romans 12 and 13 and 14, you're going to struggle because you haven't mastered the early material. You don't quite understand what's going on. When Paul says God has consigned all to disobedience, he makes a complete level playing field before God. Whether you are smart or struggling, whether you are rich or poor, whether you are white or a person of color, whether you're indigenous or an immigrant, we are all level equal before God. And Christ has died equally for each and every one of us. Because none are worthy to sit 
at the master's table. That's what the Canaanite woman got. She also understood that God is such a God that there is plenty to go around and that God's grace will overflow even to her and now to us without exception. It's given to everyone. But unless their hands are empty, God can't fill them up. But once we let go of the things that we try and bring before God, all of our so-called gifts and talents and abilities and even tithes and gifts and say, look, Lord, what we have done. Once that is all gone and we recognize that really we have nothing that didn't come first from God, then God will simply continue filling us up with the grace that he showed in Christ Jesus, who is willing to die for all people, for the entire house of Israel, which includes each and every one of us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.